let's jump into uh, the second sermon in our Hebrew series. So in your Bibles, phones, however you use, uh, go to Hebrews chapter 2. And as you're turning there, uh, I am going to encourage, um, while Pastor Matt and myself, uh, we like to put scriptures up on the, the projectors, which is great to help follow along. It's also helpful to us because then we can use that for notes. I want to encourage everybody. Um, bring your Bibles to church, right? Bring your Bible. Uh, if you use electronic, great. But um, Scripture actually refers to itself saying, this is a sword. This is a weapon that God has given to us. And the unfortunate thing is, is over time, we get really bad at using our weapon. Um, so I just want to encourage you. This is a great time. Bring your Bible. Get used to flipping through it. Um, I'm, I'm going to tell you, you, you know you have those small joys in life? Everybody has different small joys. I'm going to give you one of my small joys in life. It's gonna, it's, you're going to look at me like, this is stupid. But it, is a, it gives me that moment of like, ah, oh, that was awesome. Um, what I love is when you have a Bible long enough, right? And, and you have a Bible and it's starting to get worn and torn. One of my favorite things to do is when somebody says, turn here, and you can just do the finger and you're like, boom, you're right there right? You have those moments where you're just like, that was awesome. Like, you just kind of feel this pride of like, I'm familiar with my Bible, right? And you just get this ability to kind of know where stuff is at. So I just want to encourage you with that. Uh, please bring your Bibles and, you know, try to remember to have something with you that you can be using. Um, again, if it's electronic, fine. Uh, the other reason I want to say this is because we live in it. We just got done with our political series. Hear me on this. We live in an amazing country that allows us to even have Bibles. It allows us to bring them publicly. There are other parts of the world where people would kill, like not literally, but they would just, at least I hope they wouldn't, but they, they don't get what we have. And, and I just don't want us to take it for granted. There are other believers in other parts of the world that would love to be able to have a Bible and hold it and bring it to worship and publicly have it so people can see it and not face uh, persecution because of that. So I just want to encourage us with that. It's awesome to carry your Bible and use it and get used to using it and all that stuff. All right, so <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 2. Uh, as we jump into this, I want to do a reminder of last week. So Pastor Matt, uh, during last week, one of the things that he brought up that helps us kind of bridge over into chapter 2 is he was talking about how we cannot, no person can actually say or believe that Jesus was just a good moral teacher. If you were here last week, I hope you remember that. He was talking about how it's impossible for us or for any person to come to the conclusion that Jesus was just a good moral teacher. And Pastor Matt explained that by saying, because if you take what Jesus actually said, and you take what Jesus actually said about himself, right? If Jesus was just a good moral teacher and he made these claims about himself that he was God, that he was literally the son of God, then obviously if that's, I mean, Jesus just can't be a good moral teacher. Pastor Matt said that it comes down to three options. Either Jesus was a lunatic, Jesus was a liar, and if he was either one of those two, then he wasn't just a good moral teacher, right? So if he wasn't a lunatic and he wasn't a liar, then that means Jesus is who he says he is, and he's the Lord of the universe, right? And if he's God, Lord of the universe, King of kings, Lord of lords, if that's Jesus, then he can't just be a good moral teacher. And so this was something that was presented last week as Pastor Matt was opening up, uh, this up into uh, Hebrews. 
Now, the reason that this is important and the reason I want to think about this is I was kind of thinking through this and, and I was thinking back to a moment that Jesus had with his disciples. So here's Jesus sitting with his disciples one night and he looks at his disciples and he says, hey, fellas, who do the people say that I am? That's what Jesus' question was, was who do the people say that I am? And, and scripture records that they had answers where they're saying, well, they're saying, you know, John the Baptist was beheaded by this time. So they're saying, you're, you're John the Baptist, uh, come, you know, resurrected or, or you're Elijah or you're, you know, and they had this list of, of who uh, the people were saying Jesus was. But then Jesus looked at him, he says this, but what about you? What about you? Who do you say that I am? And this was on my mind as I was thinking through this sermon this week because uh, the same question that Jesus asked the disciples all those many years ago when Jesus was sitting around, if they were around a fire or whatever they were doing, when they were in this moment, when Jesus looked at his disciples and he asked them the question, who do you say that I am? I want you to realize this morning that Jesus is asking the same question of us. Right? And I don't think it's a one-time question. I think as Jesus reveals himself more and more to us, and Jesus shows more of himself to us as we grow and as we mature and as we grow closer to him, Jesus started, he, he asked the question, all right, David, who am I to you now? Who do you say that I am? And so I was processing that, and I was thinking about that, and the reason is because of this. I started thinking about the gospel in and of itself, right? The gospel of Jesus Christ that we proclaim as a church and that's the foundation of everything, of, of the message, message and mission of the church is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus. But I started thinking about how it's very easy to fall into the trap that when we speak of the gospel, most of what we talk about is what Jesus did for us. Right? When we talk about the gospel, we say things like, well, he died for our sins. He forgives us of our sins. You know, the gospel is I get to go to, to heaven. I get you know, eternal life. We talk about those things. And here's the thing. Those are extremely important to the gospel, and I'm not lessening that by any means. But can I tell you something that while that's important to the gospel, the thing that's even more important to the gospel is the understanding that we have of who Jesus is. The gospel isn't just about what Jesus does for us. The gospel is also the truth about who Jesus is. Because here's the thing. If we get a misunderstanding or a misconception or we get uh, skewed in any way of how we see Jesus, how we understand Jesus, then what ends up happening is if we get a misconception of who Jesus is, then that's going to have a misconception and a misunderstanding of what the rest of the gospel is. It's imperative that we truly understand who Jesus is. Because he's the foundation of the gospel. The foundation of the gospel is not what we get through Jesus. The gospel itself is Jesus. And this is scriptural because Jesus, before he was arrested, he looked at his disciples and this last moments that he had with them. This was the last moment that Jesus had before his arrest and before his crucifixion. And he looks at them and he prays. And while he's praying, he says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, speaking of the Father and the Son in whom you sent. Jesus is the gospel. So it's, it's our understanding of Jesus that is extremely important. It's the answering of this question. Jesus saying, who do you say that I am? Who am I to you? Now why this is important? 
throughout the history of the church, and, and even today, it's still here, but the church has always gone back and forth. There's been conflict and disagreements about Jesus. There's been a back and forth, and in the early church, the way that looked was when you had the early church and the church was coming about, you had people that actually saw Jesus, touched Jesus, listened to Jesus. I mean, they experienced Jesus. So you have the early church, the disciples, and those that actually experienced Jesus. They had no problem whatsoever believing in Jesus' humanity. I mean, when you experience the, the, you know, the physical presence of Jesus, you have no problem in experiencing and understanding his humanity. What happened in the early church when the church first started was a lot of people were wrestling not with Jesus' humanity. What they were wrestling with was Jesus' divinity, right? Because they were like, here's this man. I've seen him. I've experienced him. I've touched him. I've, I've listened to him. I've seen him tired. I've seen him eat. I've seen things about Jesus. And it's wrestling with this idea that this man was also fully God. So the early church wrestled with that in that first generation. This is why you see a lot of that in Scripture, talking about the, the divinity of Christ, him being truly the Son of God, being fully God and fully man. But what ends up happening is after the church is a couple generations into the church, you start getting people that never saw Jesus. They never experienced Jesus in the way physically that the early church had. And so what ends up happening is you start having believers that now they have no problem believing in the divinity of Jesus, but they wrestle with the humanity of Jesus. So what ends up happening is you start seeing fractions in the church where you have actual offshoots of people claiming to be Christians that some would say that Jesus was human, but he wasn't divine. And then you have others that are saying, well, Jesus was divine, but he wasn't really human. And this is where we come to when we enter into Hebrews chapter 2, because what the writer of Hebrews is going to focus on the entire chapter is the humanity of Jesus and the significance of Jesus' humanity and why it is so important. So as we jump into this, I want you to see this. So right off the bat in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, okay, the first thing the, the author says, he says, we must pay careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. What I want us to understand this morning, and this was good for me as I was reading this because I, I've read this several times, and then all of a sudden it just kind of hit me. It's like, hey, once again, the author is setting the tone saying, listen, pay attention. Pay attention because it's really easy to drift away. I thought this was interesting because here we are, we're, we're, we're seeing a, a letter that was written in the early church. And they were being warned, they were being warned by the author, listen guys, if you don't pay attention to what you heard, and you don't pay attention to what you believed in in the beginning, it's really easy to drift away. And I thought that was interesting because if it was that easy for them to drift away, if they didn't pay attention back then, don't you think it's even more important for us today to pay attention to what we've heard and what we believe because we can drift away even easier? I mean, I can't go find one of the apostles that actually knew Jesus like these people could. I can't go find someone that knows someone that saw Jesus. We are how many years removed from when Jesus was here, and if they were told, pay attention, pay attention, or you're going to drift away. And so I want us to see that as we begin looking at this chapter, that, that the author is saying, hey, what I'm about to share with you Man, really embrace this. 
And what I'm saying here is not necessarily what I'm going to share with you. I'm going to do the best that I can to try to give some points out of this. But this is why we need to be in Scripture reading this. That's why we were given a reading plan and to study this. Pay attention to what the author is saying. And the truth that he's trying to bring across with this, especially when it comes to Jesus' humanity. All right, so that's the plea. So we're going to look at a few things as we kind of go through this chapter that are significant to our understanding of who Jesus is, all based through the lens of his humanity. Okay, Because these things would not be possible if it wasn't for the fact that Jesus was born fully man. Okay, These things, listen again, these things would not be possible if Jesus, so his humanity is extremely important. All right, the first thing we're going to look at is we're going to look at the position of Jesus. Okay, so the first thing that happens is before this verse, before verse 8, the author, he starts talking about uh, basically authority, positions of authority. And he says actually in verse 5, he says, it's not to angels that he has subjected the world to come. So again, we're talking about authority, we're talking about who rules, who reigns, who's in charge. He goes on, and he actually starts quoting a passage from Psalms chapter 8. If you ever want to know where it's from, this is Psalms chapter 8. And he says, this is where he says, What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels, and you crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under his feet. Now here's the thing I want us to get, understand with this. This passage in the original Psalms, while this is a passage that, yes, does point towards Jesus, This passage is not specifically just about Jesus. It's actually a passage talking about us as humanity. Because if you read the entirety of the psalm, what the psalmist is talking about, the psalmist is saying, when I look at the stars, and when I look at the moon, and I look at the plant, and I look at all that you've created, and then when I think about man, that you're mindful of him, And that you care for him, and that you put him, you made him a little lower than the angels, but yet you crowned him with glory and honor, and you put everything under his feet. I want you to hear me for a second when it comes to this, because this is really important when you think about what Jesus has accomplished through his humanity. When God created us, he created Adam and Eve, and he made Adam and Eve, and he put them in the garden. One of the things God said to Adam and Eve was, here is my creation, I am giving it to you, have dominion over it. That's what, that's what man was given. God's like, I created this. I'm giving it to you. Have dominion over it. Why is that important? Because through the fall, we screwed it up. See, we didn't just break creation. We handed over authority of creation. God gave us dominion. And in fact, if you go back and you look at Psalms chapter 8, it actually talks about that too, that we were given dominion over the animals and over the fish and over the seas and over all these things. God gave us dominion, and then through the fall, we took the very thing that God gave us, the authority that he gave us, and we handed it over to our enemy. This is why scripture talks about Satan as he's the prince of this world. He has authority, because we handed that authority over to him. So all the way up to the point of Jesus' death and resurrection, ultimately, our authority, our dominion, our ability to rule, we hand it over because of our sin. We basically signed it over to our enemy. Now, why is this important? Because after the writer in Hebrews talks about this, he says, in verse, the second part of verse 8, It says in that first part, and I put everything under his feet, talking about again in Psalms. And then he says, in putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. 
Yet at the present time, we do not see everything subject to him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Let me explain the one point I want you to get out of this. Why Jesus' humanity is so important. Because we handed over our position of authority through sin. Jesus, coming in the flesh and coming as a man, was able to step into the mess that we made and to gain that authority back. See, through Jesus' death and resurrection and his ascension, because of his humanity, Jesus was able to come and get back the authority that we gave up. And because Jesus took back that authority, now Jesus reigns supreme with all authority. See, that's what the, the, the Hebrew writer is saying. He's like, listen, Jesus, because of his humanity and because of his death and resurrection, not only is he the God of the universe, now he has come and taken back the authority that we gave away. And now it's Jesus's. Everything is under his control. Everything is under his reign. Now, the writer of Hebrews understands that because he's talking to people that are being persecuted, and he says, listen, I get it. It doesn't seem like it, but it's the reality. But let's talk about that just for a moment, this reality. See, Scripture also says something that's very important that I want us to hear, and it's important for us to hear this. And we've probably heard it many times if you've been in the church, but sometimes it doesn't slip in the way that it needs to. So I'm really praying that if you have not really accepted what I'm about to say, that you're listening, right? We told Jesus, I'm listening. Scripture says that there will come a time when every knee will bow before Jesus because he rules everything. Now, why is that important? Hear me on this. Every single one of us in this room, there will come a day where we are going to bend our knee before Jesus. Here's why this is so important. On this side of eternity, we are invited to surrender to Jesus through faithful surrender. Like, I'm going to believe in Jesus, right? I'm going to put my trust in Jesus. It's the grace, it's the mercy, it's the love of Jesus, it's the gospel, it's the good news. I'm going to surrender to Jesus, and I'm going to bow before him as my king and as my Lord and as my Savior. I'm making that choice because I have come to believe that Jesus is the Savior of my soul. But on the other side of eternity, there are going to be people that have never bowed their knee in faithful surrender to Jesus here on earth. But they are going to bow their knee. But they're going to bow their knee before a conquering king. The problem is, if they wait to bow their knee before a conquering king, it's too late. Because the conquering king has come for judgment. His grace and his mercy has given ample time to respond to his good news of forgiveness and surrender and bowing our knees before him in complete and total dedication. But if we wait, there's no other options. So last week, two weeks ago, I don't know when it was. It was recently. I went to, I had to go to Washington, D.C. Time is just kind of all colluded together. It was some time. I had to go to Washington for work. And I went with a, a coworker, and he's a person that him and I are 
friends. We talk a lot. We have a lot of things in common and what we talk about and beliefs as far as political. We talk a lot of political stuff and stuff like that. Um, but he's a person that always claims to be a Christian. He says all the time that he's a Christian. He believes that he's a Christian. The reality is I think he believes he's a Christian because of his political bent and kind of all that stuff because I look at him, and, and again, it's not my place to judge salvation, but I look at him and I'm like, I see nothing in you that speaks Christian. Like there's nothing in you that shows that you're following Jesus whatsoever. All it is is lip service. And we've had conversations back and forth with that. So anyways, we go to Washington together. We're there for an entire week. And before we left, I was like, okay, God, if there's an opportunity for me to talk to him a little bit more serious about stuff, it was him and his wife, he brought his wife along. I was like, give me an opportunity to do that. Well, of course, it was so busy the whole trip, we never had any time to do that. God, in his infinite wisdom, thought that the best way for me to talk to him about Jesus was to stick us in Charlotte for 24 hours. And I'm like, yes. This is awesome. Anyways. Bad stuff happens. you got to have positive attitudes because if you don't, you're going to miss opportunities. So here we are. It's like 2 in the morning, right? We had been there since 1 in the afternoon. Our plane has been delayed several times, and we're sitting there, and, and we're, we're talking, and all of a sudden, God just opens this door, and he says something about Christianity and being a follower of Jesus. I loved it. It was like God just kind of laid it on a silver platter, and I remember looking at him, and I was like, okay. What does that mean, right? I started challenging him. Tell me what that means. Tell me what that means. And we started having this conversation. Here's what kind of came out of that. And this is why I want to, I, I, I want to stress this for us. What I found out kind of coming through a lot of his comments was a belief in Jesus, yes. He said all the right things and he had all the right, I mean, he had all the language. But what was interesting was a lot of the stuff he was talking about seemed more like a, like a, a legal loopholes that he was trusting in to be able to beat the system, right? Like, and so what I want to share, I shared this with first service, so we'll see if any of you, more of you, uh, anybody watch The Good Place? Okay. Uh, if, you, if you have, okay. My, I just finished watching it. It was four seasons. Last night, my wife comes downstairs. Are you watching it again? I'm like, Yeah. You know, because it does make me laugh, okay? If anybody has never seen it, let me, it's not biblical by any means, so please don't ever, like, think you're going to learn about the afterlife through watching The Good Place. But the premise of The Good Place is this. People have died. They go to what they think is the good place when in actuality they're in the bad place. So throughout the entirety of the seasons, it's them discovering that they're being tricked by being in the bad place, and they're trying to beat the system in order to get to the good place, okay? I know it sounds kind of weird, but I'm, it's hilarious, okay? Absolutely hilarious. But as I watch this show, I will be honest, there's a part of me that finds it absolutely hilarious. I mean, I'm, I'm laughing. It's one of those shows my wife looks at me like, why are you laughing out loud? And I'm like, I cannot help it. It is hysterical to me. Part of me laughs, but there is a part of me when I watch it, it does hurt a little bit because as I'm watching, I'm like, I wonder how many people actually believe maybe some of this stuff, right? Like this, I can become a better person in the afterlife and then I can get to the good place and all this stuff. So I'm sharing that because here's the thing. Um, we try to find loopholes to live the way that we want to live and think that we can 
beat the system, beat the house, beat the odds. Like We're going to be able to manipulate what's going on. And the one thing that is clear throughout the entirety of Scripture, you can't play God. You can't manipulate Him. You can't manipulate the system. God's like, I have given you my son, and what you do with him in the rest of this life determines the outcome on the other side. And here's the thing I just want to stress with this. While you and I cannot manipulate the system, here's the beautiful news. Jesus can manipulate it, and Jesus did. Because he chose to be born in the flesh, to live a sinless, perfect life, to die on the cross, to be rose again, to ascend into heaven, and to make atonement for us when we don't deserve it. And the only response that we can have to that is to bow before Jesus in faithful submission and surrender. Lord, it's not my life, it's yours because of the position that you hold. I forfeited all of my authority, but you got it back and now I bow before you as the king of my life and the savior of my soul and I live my life for you. This is due to Jesus' humanity. The next thing I want to talk a little bit about is the, the author then goes to talking about the perfection of Jesus. All right. So as he's talking and he's saying all this, he, and he's talking about putting everything under it, it says, in, it is fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation, being us, making the author of our salvation perfect through suffering. Now, it's important for us to understand what the author's talking about here. He's not talking about perfection of Jesus in a moral or sinless way. Jesus was not marred by sin. Jesus never, you know, he never committed a sin. You remember last week, Pastor Matt shared again an understanding of three different ways that we need to understand sin. First is the sinful nature that we're born into, that we are marred, that we are broken. That is something that we didn't cause. It's what we're born into is fallen humanity. Humanity, right? But then Pastor Matt said there's also sin of just missing the mark, right? That, that there's this expectation, there's a standard, and we, because of our sinful nature, we can't hit the mark. We're always going to miss the mark. And then there, finally, there's that sin of just complete and total rebellion against God. It's when we choose to rebel against God. It's when we choose to know where God says, this is not the way it's supposed to be, but we say, I don't care, and hear me on this, because I've had rebellion in my heart, and I still struggle with rebellion in my heart. When I rebel against God in a sinful way, do you know what I'm telling him? I'm saying, Jesus, I could care less that you died on that cross for me. In fact, I have had that thought in my head many times when I've rebelled against God that I am literally spitting on the cross of Jesus. It's a little harsh, but I want you to hear it. Because that wasn't the, Jesus wasn't marred with any of this. When he was born in the flesh, he was perfect. He never missed the mark. He never rebelled against God. In fact, we see the complete opposite in Jesus. Jesus had the opportunity in his humanity to tell the Father no. This is why this is so impressive. Jesus, he had the ability to tell the Father no in his humanity. This is why you hear Jesus in the garden, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus was not setting aside 
his heavenly divinity will, he was setting aside his human will. He was saying, Lord, my human will does not want to do this, but not my will be done, but your will be done. So, so Jesus, he never rebelled against the Father. Right? So that's not the perfection that we're talking about. The perfection we're talking about is perfection of completion or perfection that Jesus fits this something. And we're going to talk about this, but he fits something that only Jesus can fit. Nothing else can fit this, this realm, this role, this position that Jesus holds. The way I explain this is, and again, my, my brain works weird, but y'all remember, maybe you remember this, but I remember having that toy. It was like, a, like, it was like one half of it was blue, one half of it, was, if I remember right, was red. It had all the shapes in it, and you had your shape toys, and you had to put them through the, you know, put your square through the square hole, put your, you know, do all that. Um, I had that when I was a little kid. I remember very vividly being the idiot kid that always thought that he could figure out the way to get the wrong shape into the wrong hole. Like, I was going to figure that out. I was going to figure out a way to make something that wasn't created for that purpose. I was going to make it work. I'm here to tell you, it never worked. This is what I want you to understand, because when you think about that toy, it's, it's this reality that there's a perfection to that, meaning the circle toy was made to perfectly fit the circle hole in the toy. That was its purpose. That's what it fulfilled. It was perfect for that purpose. So the reason I share that is because when we think about the perfection that is being talked about here in, in Hebrews, what the writer is saying is because of Jesus' willingness to put on humanity and his willingness to suffer, Jesus became the perfect atonement for our sins. Meaning nobody else can ever fill that role but Jesus. It doesn't matter how much you want to believe in something else than Jesus for salvation. The scripture is clear that Jesus, through his suffering, by taking on humanity, is the only one that perfectly fits the role of the Savior of the world. The perfect atonement for our sins. Now what I want you to understand with this is, is this. When we talk about suffering, we automatically jump to the cross, thinking, well, we're talking about the suffering that he, he experienced on the cross. Yes, the suffering that Jesus experienced on the cross is extremely, that, I, you know, we're going to talk about that here in a second, but that's not just the suffering that Jesus went through. In order to become our perfect substitute for our sins, I want you to realize that Jesus was suffering the moment that he left heaven in order to come in the flesh. Every day of Jesus' life, he was suffering. See, we think about it from a painful way, a physical way. But think about it this way. Jesus, part of the Godhead, left the perfection of glory to come to this. Don't you think he was suffering? Jesus, that never knew discomfort, never knew tiredness, never knew hunger or thirst, never knew any of these things, chose to take on humanity and to experience this. Jesus, the perfect son of God, spent every day of his life looking and seeing the brokenness of humanity. He watched people sin. He watched people mistreat each other. He watched people 
curse his father. He watched people reject his father. You don't think he was suffering every single day of his life while he had humanity? Jesus then goes to the cross, and this is where we do a lot of our focus, but hear me on this. Jesus experienced more suffering on the cross than any human being that has ever lived. Now hear me on this, because when I was younger, I used to think about this from a pain factor, right? Like right now, I'm reading Fox's Book of Martyrs. I don't know if you've ever read Fox's Book of Martyrs. It's a book that was written back in the 1500s, and it basically chronicles a lot of Christians that have died throughout the centuries and tells you how they died, right? It's a chronicle of, of people that have given their life for their faith, starting at the apostles and then up. I'm reading this, and you're reading horrific stories of how people are being tortured for days for their faith and dying. So when you're reading it, you're like, okay, Jesus, you spent six hours on the cross. You were, you were scourged. You went through all that. But, you know, you didn't spend days in pain and suffering the way these people are. But I'm here to tell you, Jesus still experienced more pain than they did. And let me explain why. It wasn't necessarily the physical pain that Jesus experienced. But here's something that Jesus experienced on that cross that no human being has ever experienced on this side of eternity. No human being in the flesh has ever experienced this other than Jesus. Jesus experienced the moment when the grace and presence of the Father stepped away and the full extent of God's wrath was poured out. See, you and I have never experienced that. You and I have never even come close to experiencing God completely removing himself from your presence and taking all of his grace away. You might have had some bad days and some horrible situations in life, but God has always been there with you. Jesus experienced the Father removing himself completely from Jesus. This is why Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And not only that, Jesus experienced the full extent of God's wrath, the entirety of it, every drop of it dumped out on him in one moment at one time. Think about that for a moment. The entire wrath of God poured out on his humanity. Jesus experienced more pain and suffering than any of us. But scripture is telling us that by being willing to do that, he gives us salvation. And he becomes the perfect atonement for our sins. Would not have been possible other than through Jesus' humanity. The writer in Hebrews says also this, he says, both the one who makes men holy and those who are being made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. So here again, I want you to hear this. Jesus' reason he suffered, the reason he died, was not just to save you. It wasn't just to forgive you. Jesus did it because he is the one that is holy and he is making you holy. Jesus did it because he's making you holy. This is why it's important, again, to surrender to him in his position, because as we surrender to his position, then I can understand the perfection of what he does for me, and I can become holy in Jesus. Listen to this. Jesus is not ashamed to call you family. Isn't that awesome? I'm not, he's, I'm looking, he looks down. I'm not ashamed to call you brothers. You're my family because I'm making you holy. For a moment, let's talk just strictly about the humanity of Jesus. While all of this is dealt with the humanity of Jesus, I want us to understand, the writer then goes into this. He says, um, he says, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear. 
Here's what I want you to understand with this as we bring this all together and we really kind of look at this. Not only did Jesus have a human body, I think we can relate to that, say, okay, I get that. He had a human body. He dealt with being tired, sick, you know. Here's the thing. I'm going to say this. I can't prove it scripturally, but I, I truly believe that Jesus in some way, shape, or form dealt with sickness. And the reason I believe that, some people would say, oh, he's Jesus. He never dealt with it. Here's, my, here's why I say that. The Bible tells me that he can relate to everything that I go through, right? Like he understands everything that we go through. He took on a human body. He took on, while he was sinless, he still took on a body that was able to be destroyed. And I, I truly believe that Jesus can relate to the things that we go through. He understands what it's like to have a sore back and not want to do anything, but then someone comes to you and says, hey, I need your help. He understands what it's like to go day after day after day, and you just feel tired, and you have nothing left to give, and then all of a sudden somebody comes to your door and is like, hey, I need your help. Jesus gets that. He went through that because of his human body. But not only that, not only did Jesus have a human body, he had a human heart. And again, I'm not talking about the thing that beats in your chest. I'm talking about the emotions. Jesus understood human emotions. He understood what it was like to be happy and joyful. He understands what it's like to be sad. He understands what it's like to have fear and doubt. He understands those things. Some of us are like, how could Jesus ever have doubt? In his humanity, Jesus had doubt. Lord, if there's any other way to do this, let's do it that way. Does that not sound like doubt? That was his humanity. Jesus understands our emotions. He understands our feelings. He understands the baggage that we carry. He also had a human mind. He understands controlling of thoughts. He understands the things that try to get into your brain and to, and to take you sidetracked. If he didn't understand this, then there was no reason for Satan to try to tempt him. Satan came and tried to tempt and put thoughts into Jesus' mind that did not conform with the will of God. Jesus knows what that's like. He knows what it's like to be lied to. He knows what it's like to be tempted to follow a lie. Jesus also had a human will. He understood what it was to submit to God and to put his will to the side in order to do the will of the Father. He understood what obedience was. So when we talk about Jesus' humanity, that he had a body, he had a heart, he had a mind, he had a will, what I want you to understand about this and why this is so important is Jesus took all of these things upon himself because he can't redeem us unless he experienced it and took it to the cross and took it to the grave and took it to the, risen, you know, to the, to the empty tomb. In fact, it's stated one way with this. Jesus took a human body in order to save our bodies. He took a human mind in order to save our minds. He took on emotions so that he could rescue our hearts. And he took on a human will so that he could save our broken and wandering wills. Jesus took on humanity in its entirety so that he could save you in your entirety. Why is this important? Because many times we struggle to think that the things that are broken in us are always going to stay broken. Lord, I can never think a different way. I can never feel a different way. I can never act a different way. It's lies straight from the pit of hell because Hebrew is telling us that Jesus took all of these things upon himself in their entirety in order that he could save us in our entirety. In fact, it goes on and says, he had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to our God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. He took on humanity to save us in our entirety. We should rejoice in that and be excited about that. Here's the last one and then we're done. We're going to talk a little bit about the ability of Jesus. 
The author of Hebrews ends the chapter by saying, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Here's what I want you to understand about this. Is that as we embrace more the humanity of Jesus and we understand what it meant that Jesus took on flesh, Jesus then becomes not our last priority, he becomes our first priority. Here's what I mean by that. It seems like many times we live with the temptation that we struggle with stuff in the flesh and the last person that we turn to is Jesus. The reality is the first person we need to turn to is Jesus. Because Jesus, in his humanity, he gets it. He understands it. He knows and understands when we have fear. He understands when we have doubt. He understands when you have pain. He understands when you want to give up. He understands when you're angry and frustrated. He understands all of these things because he experienced the fullness of what it means to be human. Jesus understands what it's like to have everyone around you abandon you. Jesus knows that better than any of us. And the only reason he is able to understand is because he took on humanity. So here's the thing, as we close and we bring this all together, he is able to help us because of this. I want you to go back and think about this. Because of his position as ruler of all, he is able to help me because he has the power to help me. When we go back to his perfection and that he is the perfect substitute for my atonement and my transformation, I can trust that he is able to help me because of his perfection because, he, because he's created the way for me to travel, for me to go. He created the way of holiness for me and righteousness for me. He's created the way to the Father for me. Because of his perfection, I can trust the way that Jesus gives me. And finally is this, I can trust that Jesus is able to help me because of his humanity. He experienced all of these temptations and he was victorious. Jesus, in his humanity, and here's the thing, there was nothing special about Jesus' humanity. He took on humanity to show us that when we trust in the power of the Spirit of God within us, we can have victory too over our own broken flesh. Jesus, in his humanity, I can trust him that he is able to help me because he's experienced everything that I will ever go through. So when I come to Jesus in my brokenness, I'm not going to be condemned by Jesus. I'm going to actually have Jesus look at me and say, I understand. I understand because I went through that stuff too. And I'm victorious over it. And through me, you can be victorious too.